0: Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express News Show. In this episode, we talk about four children who died while working in glass bangle factories in Jaipur. We also talk about online media, which includes entertainment and news platforms coming under the purview of the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting. But first, we talk about the India-China border crisis. It has now been over six months since the standoff between the two sides started along the line of actual control in eastern Ladakh. As discussed previously on the show, the Chinese have transgressed along at least four points on the LAC. Pangongso, the Galwan Valley area, Hot Springs and Depsang. There have now been several rounds of diplomatic and military talks between the two sides, but yet there has been no sign of disengagement and de-escalation. Though now, China has proposed to move its troops back from one of the locations on the Pangongso Lake area. Pangongso has been a major point of contention between the two sides and is an area where both sides do not agree on the location of the LAC. It is also the side where Indian troops are not being allowed to patrol where they traditionally have. In this segment, Deepti Mantivari, who reports on government agencies for the Indian Express, talks about this proposal by China. Deeptiman, the Chinese we now understand have proposed to move back from at least one point along the LAC. What do we know about this proposal and what exactly will it involve?
1: As of now, what we know is that uh, on the November 6th core commander level meet, the two core commanders from the two sides also had a one on one meeting, which was a departure from the past when uh, the entire panel of officials and army generals and officers met together and thrashed out issues. So in this one on one interaction, a proposal was a sort of exchanged from China about going back to finger 8 on the north bank of Pangong Lake and of pushing India back to a place between finger 2 and finger 3 where we have a post called the Dhan Singh Thapa post. So this proposal is, as of now, still being considered by the center here in Delhi. And we don't yet know what are the entire nitty-gritties of this entire proposal. To what extent? How many men will go back? Will it be complete disengagement? As of now, we only know that some men will move to Finger 8 and the Hansing Thapa post and artillery will move back to the depth areas and that there will be no patrolling in this region, in this area. But there may be other stuff also which is being considered otherwise this is as close to the status quo ante that india had been demanding on north bank as one can think of so there are other issues involved which delhi is still mulling over also the demand from china is a reciprocal disengagement on south bank of uh, the pangong lake where India is in an advantageous position and has taken over some key heights which overlook strategic infrastructure of China across the LOC. So this negotiation perhaps will still go into the future through some more core commander-level meetings, it appears as of now, because Delhi has not yet come across as being very committal or announced anything officially. So, had it been so concrete and something being so close to what India has been demanding, uh, there would have been an announcement officially.
0: And, you know, just talking about the North Bank of Pangong and what the Chinese have proposed, does it mean that at least from this point, if they do move back to the place they're talking about, will they then be back to the place India considers their side of the LSE? That would be correct.
1: Uh, That's what I was saying when I said status quo ante. Status quo ante is where each of these forces were in April. Now, of course, we demand our right to patrol from finger four to finger eight. We say that we have been doing this for a long time. And this is our perception of the LAC. You stay beyond finger eight. Of course, our perceptions clash. But India has been holding forth at Finger 4 for a long, long time. And it says that Finger 4 is ours. And we patrol from Finger 4 to Finger 8. So, of course, in that sense, it is not entirely a status quo ante. Because China is demanding no patrolling, which we have said that is our right. Also, nobody would be there at Finger 4, which we say is ours. So, we are back even from Finger 3. Because Hansing Thapa Post is between Finger 2 and Finger 3. So uh, we are basically, you could say we are holding finger two, and they going to finger eight. So this is a massive disengagement, there is no doubt, and very close to status quo ante that we were demanding. And of course, a great, great improvement on what we have achieved so far. So in that sense, yes, but everything will have to be verified on the ground because as it has been seen with China, words have not really meant much until they have translated on the ground
0: also dhitiman if we if we were to look at the map of the lac in eastern ladakh the fingers along the pangongso lake become clear but for those who may not have looked at the map could you talk about what these fingers are
1: so when we talk about these different fingers on the north bank of the lake. They are basically mountainous spurs which are jutting out into the lake from the hill which is there on or, or the range that is there on the north bank of the lake. So there are eight such spurs which jut out into or towards the lake or on the shore of the lake. And they have been identified as fingers on the top of the hay, if we go, then there is a single ridge which connects these fingers. So right now, the forces of the two countries are in an eyeball-to-eyeball confrontation between finger two and finger four, with a distance of around 200 to 300 meters. There are anywhere between 1500 to 2000 soldiers on each side. So these are the fingers which are used by both sides as topographical marking of their territory. There is a distance of about 8 kilometers between finger 4 and finger 8. We claim that we patrol this area. China has been claiming that this is our area. And that's what the whole quarrel is about.
0: Right. So coming back to talking about achieving status quo, a lot of officials have talked about you know this trust deficit between the two sides. Could you speak about that particular issue and to what extent is that coming in the way of, you know, resolving this entire border crisis?
1: Of course, if you look at this entire issue, so the entire issue is precipitated because of a trust deficit. If you look at it, you know, India and China have had multiple agreements over how to resolve border disputes, over how to maintain status quo at the border through various regimes. And over decades, these agreements have been signed and these agreements have been respected. Yet China has unilaterally chosen to alter the LAC as we have seen through their movements in May, June. So obviously this entire thing has begun on the platform, on the premise of trust deficit. And then if we see that after the first round of core commander level talks in June, there were certain agreements which were made And yet, on June 15, we had a bloody clash where 20 Indian soldiers died. So, obviously, there is a trust deficit. Only after such a huge tragedy and the international focus that fell upon uh, the border tension between India and China, did China finally agree to disengage at Galwan? And there was an equidistant withdrawal by the two forces. And in that meeting, it had been agreed to also disengage at Gogra and uh, hot spring areas, but China did not follow it up in the same measure that India and China had agreed upon. So there is a trust deficit and then, after vacating the base of finger four as agreed upon earlier, they went and took positions on the ridge line of finger four. So obviously China cannot be trusted unless things translate on the ground, and the same can be verified.
0: Before we move on to the next segment, we'd just like to inform you that we will be off for the Diwali holidays. That means that there would be no three things or catch up episode on Monday. We wish you a happy and safe Diwali and promise to be back with an episode on Tuesday. Now, back to the show. And next we talk about the tragic death of four children. The deaths highlight the problem of child trafficking and labour, which is rampant in the country. In the city of Jaipur, for example, where the children had died, this problem has been there for some time now. And it centres around the city's thriving lac bangle industry. And especially places such as Jaipur North, where various localities
2: such as Shasinagar, Basti, these places have at times thousands of houses who are engaged in lac bangle making.
0: That's Deep Mukherjee, who reports on Rajasthan for the Indian Express. So uh, the lack bangle making
2: is done mostly with the help of trafficked children who come from Bihar. And there are many well-functioning rackets in these places who regularly bring these children from Bihar and make them walk in these lack bangle making units. So at times a unit can be as small as just a house. And in that uh, basement of this house, there could be like uh, more than 10, 20 children at one time working 24 hours without any facility of rest or even like at times they are also denied food. And if the production is less, then they are also at times beaten up by their employers.
0: Activists also point out that bangle making is a dangerous occupation. Children are often exposed to harmful chemicals and unsafe tools in hot surroundings and they have to breathe in toxic fumes. Deep recently reported on the death of four children that had died while working in these lag bangle factories. They died between July and October of this year.
2: The first case which... uh... Came to the police was in mid July when they got to know about a boy who was dead and that a body of a boy was lying in one of these bangle making units. So, after they went to the place, they got to know that he was dead and he had come from Bihar
0: and he was a trafficked child. Child rescue operations are run by the anti human trafficking unit of the Rajasthan police. But Deep points out that during the lockdown from March to August, these operations could not take place.
2: And I spoke with the family members of the first boy who died and they said that he had uh, run away from his house in Bihar's Gaya district last year and had come to Jaipur. And before the lockdown, the family wanted him to return but his employer didn't let him go. And after the lockdown also, they wanted him to return and the boy also wanted to return but the employer said that if he wants to return first he will pay for all the expenses that he incurred for him during the period of lockdown. So under this circumstance he was uh, going
0: ill also and at that time he died. The boy had been 14 years old. Deep says that an FIR was registered for culpable homicide and the employer was arrested. Now, just after the death of the first child, another child, a 16-year-old, in a different bangle-making unit, was found dead. And this second death led the police to find another child.
2: So when the police raided this facility after uh, getting to know about the death of the second boy, they found that another 13-year-old boy was ill and he was admitted to a hospital in Jaipur where he passed away on August 4th. So, in the chart sheet, which was filed against the employer of these two boys who died, one of the other trafficked children, his statement gives us a peek into how actually uh, they are trafficked and how they are made to work in inhuman conditions. So, in his statement to the chart sheet, he said that uh, they were brought from Bihar a year ago on the pretext of helping them study. And then they are made to prepare bangles from 8 in the morning till 10 p.m. in the night. And they are not provided food. The employer doesn't let them go out of the
0: basement. And if they don't work, then they are also beaten up. Deep says that one of the boys who had died had been ill for several days. But the factory owner did not give him any medicine and made him make bangles even during this time. So... At this point of time, when he was bringing pee for the
2: employer, he fell down from the stairs and sustained injuries in the head, which resulted in this death. So the second and the third death, they are connected because both of these boys worked inside the same bangle-making factory. And the fourth and the last death, which uh, dates back to October 23, around just 15-20 days uh, from now, and that was of a 12-year-old boy. And when he was found dead and his body was examined, at that time, fresh and old wound marks were also found resembling blisters or signs of beating on the child's
0: shoulder, chest and stomach. This is stated by the FIR in the case. All the boys who died were from Bihar and were between the ages of 12 and 16 and were brought from Bihar on the pretext of studying.
2: And after that, they're confined to one room, one very small room where uh, they are not allowed to go or rest. And they're constantly under the supervision of these uh, traffickers and they make them make those lakh bangles. And at times, even if they are allowed to talk with people uh, at their home in Bihar, the family members told me that constantly the employer's uh, keep a watch or eavesdrop in the conversation or make the children say what they want them to say and uh, make them work overtime.
0: The deaths have once again brought to focus the sorry state of affairs in Jaipur when it comes to dealing with the problem of child labour. Deep says that when talking to officials and activists, he found out that often the implementation of the anti-human trafficking unit framework is neglected. A lot depends on the individual police officers and the kind of attention they want to give to this problem. So uh, for the
2: officials of a police station, rescuing trafficked children may be not that much a priority as um, like investigating cases of murder or theft or loot. So this at most uh, of the times, they see just as an additional responsibility and there's laxity, which actually is causing irreparable loss because The only way to solve this uh, problem is to rescue the child laborers. And at this time, there are thousands of child laborers still uh, trapped inside Jaipur and other parts of Rajasthan who are forced to work for long hours. They don't have any rights and in clear violation of the Juvenile Justice Act. And uh, at times they are assaulted, they are beaten up. But their only hope is on these rescue operations, which work through ground intelligence. So the beat constables and the inspectors, the local sub-inspectors, they get intelligence. And based on that, they conduct these rescue operations, at which time activists from NGOs also accompany them as per the guidelines. And following these operations, these children are sent to juvenile homes where they're
0: kept at children's home, And then they're sent to their home states such as Bihar. But even after being rescued and returning to their homes, Deep says that many times they will again be trafficked. Two months later, so
2: there is once they go back to their home, there is no such mechanism to monitor like like whether those people who trafficked uh, him in the first place, that racket, are they once again getting in touch with their parents? Are they once again being sent to states such as Rajasthan to work? So these administrative lacuna in terms of implementing the anti-human trafficking mechanism. This is affecting the overall mission to uh, rescue child laborers.
0: Last month, an Indian Express investigation had found out that after the lockdown, there had been a sharp rise in the number of children being taken away from their homes for illegal labor, trafficking and forced marriages. We had done an entire episode on this, where we looked at this problem, talked about how the government is ill-equipped to deal with it and the solutions that should be worked upon. We have provided a link to it in today's episode description. And in the end, we talk about a decision made by the government regarding digital platforms. The government of India has now ordered that online media, including entertainment, film and news platforms, will now come under the Union Ministry of Information and Broadcasting. These would include platforms like Netflix, Amazon's Prime Video, and Hotstar. The decision has many worried about potential censorship and restrictions on content. In this segment, Krishan Kaushik, who among other things also reports on the media for the newspaper, talks about this decision and what it will mean for digital platforms. Krishan, now online media, which includes entertainment and news platforms, will come under the purview of the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting. Could you talk about what this would mean for these platforms? Okay, there are two things to understand here. Uh, First of all, just because they come
3: under the purview of the INB ministry does not automatically mean that they will be uh, regulated starting tomorrow onwards by the INB ministry. INB ministry has been very clear regarding OTT platforms like Hotstar, Netflix and many domestic players that they should form a self-regulatory body on the lines of uh, BCCC for TV entertainment And NBSA for news broadcasters in the country, so that they can regulate themselves and uh, there should not be any intervention from the government side over there. However, when it comes to news, as the government is more sensitive when it comes to news, they want that uh, the online news platforms should come under on a similar platform to where the print media is at the moment. And they last year brought in a draft law, which was called the Registration of Press and Periodicals Bill, which was to replace de- the 150-year-old Press and Registration of Books Act of 1867 to bring it at par with print media in the country. So it does not automatically mean that because they come and both these things come under the purview of INB ministry, now that they will be regulated directly by the INB ministry starting tomorrow. However, now that they have been assigned to the INB ministry, the INB ministry will be responsible for all laws that are uh, applicable to these two domains. And for any regulatory powers that they would like to either, uh, you know, uh, approve for a self-regulatory body or keep with themselves. So this is the first step towards
0: what can happen to these two domains now. Whatever has to happen will be decided by the INB ministry from now on. So no regulation has happened right now, but this could potentially lead to some kind of regulation, basically.
3: Will it potentially lead to some kind of regulation? Yes, that's for sure. The idea of we are marking these two domains to the INB ministry means or actually shows government's intent that there should be some sort of regulation. And this is not the first time that there's some sort of regulation is being hinted at, to be honest. Government for the past three, four years has been grappling with the issue of how to regulate these two schemes because this has not been under any ministry's domain exclusively till now. The laws that are applicable to online news and OTT platforms at the moment are the IT Act of 2000 and the other laws of restrictions on free speech. However, no ministry till now was responsible for these two domains. Now that the ministry has been made responsible, you can clearly and definitely expect that there will be some sort of regulatory push from the government side over these two domains. It could be self-regulatory. It could be directly under the ministry's purview. That has to be seen what, uh, what comes next.
0: Okay. And, you know, uh, like we were talking about that online news platforms will now also come under the INB ministry. So, but when it comes to news platforms like these, do we know how the government is defining news platforms? Like, for example, will it be only places like, you know, The Scroll and The Wire or even a, you know, a YouTuber talking about the news or an independent podcaster talking about news? Would they count as a news platform?
3: So the government is still not very sure how to go about this. Uh, from my conversations with the officials of the ministry, IMB ministry in the past, they're still trying to understand what is the best route for them to take and how uh, they can control whatever content is going on news platforms online news platforms essentially see i mean unlike a, a physical newspaper or a physical magazine which has to be registered in the country for it to be distributed you don't know, you don't have to register a website in the country for it to be available in, the, in 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 india there are news platforms whose parent companies are actually registered outside and you can read them here there are international news publications who don't even have an office in the country and you can read them as well so it's very difficult to essentially regulate what can come online it, right now the government has two choke points either it can completely ban the website which is another it act if it tells internet service providers that this uh, particular website is contravening certain indian laws and you cannot allow this website to be downloaded within the country the isps can block that website in the country or you can access it through vpns otherwise the other route is uh, recently the government had announced a 26 percent fdi for online news platforms which is at par with what is available for the print media at the moment as well that lays on certain conditions of, of what a particular news entity will have to follow if it wants to uh, bring 26% FDI for itself. So these are the two avenues through which you can control. But what constitutes online news? How will they identify what is an online news platform? Whether let's assume there's a, a vlogger who's uh, who has a YouTube channel, how will they control that? That's very tricky and I'm not sure the government is entirely clear on that. Because even if you go back to the, the bill that they have introduced last year, the craft bill actually, which is in the final stages at the moment, the Press and Periodicals Bill of 2019, it defines online news uh, as the news on digital media as it is the news in digitized format that can be transmitted over internet, computer, or mobile networks and includes text, audio, video, and graphics. So it's a very wide definition, though it's quite a pithy one, but it can enca- encapsulate a lot of things. But yet the challenges of how news can travel online,
0: I'm not sure this can really tackle with that at the moment. And when we talk about, um, you know, entertainment platforms, um, you know, you talked about that, you know, this does not immediately mean that there's going to be some kind of regulation. But yet people have been worried about censorship and potential restrictions. Uh, To what extent do you think these concerns and fears are sort of justified in that regard?
3: See, it is important to understand that uh, the government, though it has been pushing for self-regulation, it does want some sort of regulation over OTT platforms as well. From my understanding, of course, the officers have never said that politically sensitive shows are a problem, which definitely are, because multiple cases have happened in the country regarding politically sensitive shows, which include sacred games as well. But the government does not come clear on them or it does not come out openly about these shows. They do mention that there are a lot of uh, you know obscene and vulgar shows on many of these uh, OTT platforms, which have to be checked. There has to be some regulation over there. They are unable to understand what is the best way forward because right now, any child or any person can access all these platforms on their TV or on their laptop or any on their mobile phone back actually, and can access most of these shows uh, which show either semi-porn or porn. Now, you have to understand porn is not banned in the country. However, slowly, the government has been banning many porn sites as well, so that is a concern this opportunity is a concern that the government has come out openly essentially even if it's an off the record conversations in September. the government had written to i a m a i which is the internet and mobile Association of India, against the self regulatory model that they have come up with. These guys had come up with a model uh, in January, which on which some of these domestic platforms had signed, but government said that the model was not. Robust enough because it had certain conflict of interest issues and it did not clearly enunciate what is a prohibited content. It also mentioned that the self-regulatory mechanism lacked independent third-party monitoring. So government has actually told uh, the IAMAI, the body that they were trying to create is called the Digital Curated Content Complaints Council or C. But government has said that this model is not appropriate and they should follow the model of either BCCC, which is for the entertainment industry, TV industry, or NBSA, which is for news broadcasters. So government definitely wants some kind of regulation for OTT. They definitely want that whatever is available on these OTT platforms, there should be certain restrictions, which is clearly enunciated when they say that what is the prohibited content, which is not clearly defined. But what model will that be? That has to be seen. But in the absence of any self-regulatory or regulatory mechanism, you see that, of course, certain platforms are pushing whatever they can, but certain international platforms are also self-censoring. So there is this dual-edged sword right now, but in the absence of any clarity of what is allowed and what is not allowed, they, both sides are like you know trying to see where the boundaries are, whether it's self-censorship or whether it's pushing the uh, envelope to show whatever they can. To
0: sort of step back and take an overview of this, what do you think are the biggest things that remain unanswered about this move?
3: the biggest thing still remains un- that remains unanswered how will they go about doing these things i mean are they going to create firewalls around uh, news websites or ott platforms that they don't find comfortable or who do not uh, you know follow certain rules and regulations i am not sure like because and it's it's not just india actually the entire world is still trying to understand how to best regulate online content whether it's entertainment or whether it's news
0: You were listening to Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it, share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com.